Welcome to the Mothers You Know podcast. Thank you for being here. This is a place where we as women remember the spirit God gave us. We know how much we matter and we believe all things are possible to them that believe on this Savior Jesus Christ. Here at Mothers You Know, we support the parents of young men in the Sons of Helaman and young women in the Daughters of Light programs at Life Changing Services. These programs provide therapeutic and mentoring services for youth struggling with depression, anxiety, self-harm, pornography, and any other unwanted or difficult behaviors. We offer parent support, training, and resources for mothers and fathers seeking the best way to support their loved one. Any mother is welcome to join in the Mothers Who Know classes support and training. You do not need to have a child in life-changing services to join in. We hope you'll join us. I am Karen Broadhead. I serve as the director of Mothers You Know, and I serve as the parent support specialist at life-changing services. I invite you to join with me and other mothers from across the country in our Warrior Mothers Who Know online support and training group held every Tuesday at 10.30 a.m. Mountain Time. If you have a child struggling with pornography, depression, anxiety, or other difficult behaviors, you will find a safe and uplifting place to learn from other moms and learn principles and strategies to best support your loved one. Please go to motherswhoknow.org to find the online meeting details. We talk about difficult things here with the intent to shine light in dark corners and to eliminate isolation and shame. We are mothers with warrior hearts who are raising the warriors of this generation. We know we must learn to fight well for ourselves first. Then we can confidently support and cheer on our loved ones in the best ways. Hello and welcome. I am so happy that you're here, you awesome Mothers Who Know podcast listeners. So grateful today because I'm here with Sally Alley and her son said something really cute about her name that I can't remember exactly how he said it, but maybe you'll remember Sally here in just a minute. You can tell us. Do you know the funny thing your son says to everybody about your name? I, I don't know. I get a lot of funny things about my name. My husband always says when he married me, he just became the hus- the husband of Sally Alley. He lost his identity. So I'm like, I'm the one that got the sing song name when I married you. So <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, it was just, it was, oh, I just have to go back and listen to that, I guess. But yeah, it was really cute what he said about your name. But oh, anyway. Funny. So grateful that you are here because Sally is someone who understands what a mess is and the stretch in the mess and the trauma and the torment that can go along with discovering a mess. And she has been in the trenches of the battle enough and witnessed some healing and growth and hope over a long period of time. And it's really inspiring. Her story is so awesome. If you haven't listened to her son's episode, and I will, I'm writing myself a note to check that these go out kind of at the same time. Otherwise they'll be like, where is it? No. And so, but her son Smith is on the like dragons. Did they fight 
podcast channel. And we're putting this interview with Sally, his mother, on the Mothers Who Know channel. And so you might want to go listen to Smith Alley's interview after you listen to this, just so you can think that's her son. So fun. <laughs> so cool. So we almost did your interview together, but I just felt so impressed. Now, let's just get Sally's side of this because that's so helpful for us because where, where we fight, where we battle and do hard things is so personal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and both of us are pretty talkative. So maybe it would have been a really long podcast if we were both on the same one, <laughs> both, both pretty passionate about this whole topic. So it's hard yeah. to keep us, it's hard to edit us yeah too, too much yeah so yeah. really sally and i spoke before we started that it's really important for her that we really lean into the side of all this journey when you find out someone that you love is struggling with their with you know getting to a place of sexual self-mastery but that we wanted to focus on the hope that is available and i love the way you you put that, Sally, before we started our interview that, you know, there's only one way to go. Yeah, I talk to parents often that call me because we've been so public with our experience. I talk to parents all the time that will call. And of course, they've just caught their child or had their child that has told them, not normally do they tell them, but they've caught them and they feel, of course, desperate. And I remember that feeling. I remember it, it makes me emotional every time I think about it because I remember that sinking feeling. I remember the wave of mother guilt of how did I not, how did I not protect them? I remember that feeling. And I always talk to the parent and just say, I know how you feel right now. I know that feeling. And maybe even I know a little bit scarier than you're feeling right now. But what I can tell you is that this is the best day. I know it feels like the worst day, but this is the best day because now you have diagnosed it. You know what the problem is and there's resources and there is ability for change and there's hope and it's only going to get better. So, mm. you know, that is always like, like my first thought. I know you feel like this is the worst day, but that's just not true. It's not the worst day. This is the very best day. The worst mm. day was yesterday when there was something wrong and you knew there was something wrong, you just didn't know what it was. And when you don't know what it is, you don't know how to fix it. Oh, that's so good. But when you know what it is, then there's tools and there's resources and there's people and there's just, it's a task that can be achieved. So for me, that's a lot of what it is. Just that the not knowing is that's the worst day. Ah, oh, it's so good. It makes me think of something that a mentor told me years ago when I was just barely entering into this whole arena of, you know, being a mom, looking at exactly what you just described, but the woman said, the only thing worse than finding out that your child is looking at pornography or caught in the trap of pornography is not finding out. Yeah. That's the only thing worse. Yeah. And I was like, ah, yeah. It's true. It's true. I mean, I have thought that many times I've thought, you know, look at these people that, I mean, we were really lucky that we found out about Smith when he was young. And I look at these people that are 35 years old and their wife finally finds out and they have four children and they've had 
years and years and years of these neural pathways being affected by pornography and mm-hmm. all of the things that come along with that, right? The deception and the shame and the everything that comes along with that. And they've had to deal with this for all of these years and the side effects that come along with, you know, decades of that. And if there was a mom that could have given some resources and helped that child way back when, you know, you can save a family, you can save a soul, you can help be somebody that lifts and supports instead of somebody that sits in the dark and doesn't, doesn't do anything. Yes. Not because they don't want to, just because they don't know. Mm, That's so good. And you know, it's such a difficult place because the feelings and the shame make us think, what, why would I ever want to discover this or find out about this? But Mm -hmm. because of the day we live in, it's almost like, oh, I heard one of our awesome moms in our warrior mother who know our warrior mothers who know meeting yesterday say, if we could just normalize the challenge that our kids are facing, we would be so much better off. We shouldn't be surprised that our children are struggling with this issue in our day. This is so prevalent and such a plague. And then when it happens at our house, we make it so not normal that Mm -hmm. you did the thing that we've talked about you to you about not doing, we should normalize it more so that when they say I need help, we not only with that sexual self mastery issue, but other issues can say, you know what, we all need resources beyond what's in the walls of our home. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So Sally, you got to give us just a little quick overview of why you're so vocal about this. You mentioned that earlier. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. And then we're going to go to, so how did you first discover this was going on with your child? But first I want to know, yeah, to give everybody an overview of, yeah, that's kind of why we do what we do. Yeah. Well, we started doing what we do because my son who had gone through the Sons of Helaman program, and again, he was young when he started, he was 14 and he just kind of sailed right through, to be honest, he didn't look back and we'll get into a little bit of the reasons why I think that was, he was pretty motivated to cut clean of his habits and accomplish that self-mastery, but he decided to do his Eagle Scout project as a, a fireside. I, you know, he had come to me and said, you know, we had the requirement that he had to get his Eagle. And this was when the church was still part of the BSA. And he said, well, mom, you know, it's just dumb. I don't want to do my project. I don't want to go paint a bench or whatever. And I said, Hey, there's nothing wrong with painted benches. I personally like sitting on them, but why don't you think of something that you're, what do you care about? What, what do you want to do? How do you want to influence the world? There's lots of things. You don't have to paint a bench or fire hydrants or put numbers, address numbers on the sidewalk. There's lots of things that you can do. What are you interested in? And he said, and he had recently had some experiences where he had helped a few of his friends that um, had, you know, helped him tell their parents that they were having issues and had Mm -hmm. seen some success with his peers. And he said, well, I'm interested in helping people find out about the evils of pornography. And I said, okay, well, what if we did something with that? And 
I don't know if you're aware of the company Fight the New Drug, the foundation Fight the New Drug. I'm sure you are. So he's a big advocate of theirs. And he called them and asked them what they would charge to come do a community meeting. And I think they said like $4,000. And so he came to me and he said, mom, we need to raise $4,000. And I said, that's not going to (laughs) happen. But buddy, what if you just did one? you know, what if you asked your therapist, if he would come and talk, you have experience with him, you know, Mm -hmm. that he's great that, you know, he has really affected your life. What if you asked if he would charge, you know, what he would charge to do this. And, you know, if he would come do that anyway. So he lined his own therapist up from sons of Helaman and unbeknownst to me, he also planned on telling his story there. And he went public with what he had done in the form of a letter and talked to people there. And it changed his life. It really turned the corner for him. And he decided that at that point, you know, people started coming out of the woodwork, asking for help from him and kids that were discussing their concerns. You know, they were kind of, they leaned on him to be their person that they told that, you know, he always is saying, just tell someone, anyone get, just get out of that shame cycle. Just tell anyone, if it can't be your parent, tell me. And Mm -hmm. so he started seeing the effects of that. And so then it just has kind of spiraled. So he now is running a foundation and is speaking to groups and people around and helping one-on-one kids and families. And so we have, of course, gotten involved in that because of really we're riding his coattails. If that's, if you want to know the truth, (laughs) but so that has made us very passionate also because we have just talk to so many families because we've been public about it. People feel like they can talk with us and, you know, it's really just got to, this, the stigma around it has really got to stop in order for us to be able to support these teens. And, you know, this is a problem that certainly we're not giving them, but we're not helping any by giving them access, unfettered access, you know, Many times I've heard people comment that, you know, giving them a, handing a eight-year-old a cell phone, a smartphone, mm-hmm. unfettered, that is unfiltered. And not only, even if you think it's filtered, you just don't know. Yeah. And then being surprised or angry at them when that loaded weapon that we just gave them actually goes off. Mm-hmm. And yet somehow it's their fault and they're doing something wrong. And that's just not true. So we feel pretty passionate about that, mostly because of our experience, but also because of the experiences that we had shared with us of all of the really good families and really good kids mm-hmm. that are struggling with this. I mean, these are amazing individuals and the ones that I think, in my opinion, the ones that are fighting and battling this and vocal, those are the teens that are they are exceptional. They are the exceptional ones and they will be the difference in the future of our church, of our communities, of our families. They will be the ones that will carry, that will carry the future in my opinion. Wow. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think sometimes when I say things like that, because moms are in really tough spots, they're like, oh, you know, cause their son's still in a place or their daughter is still in a place where they're kind of in that droning. I don't know mm-hmm. if I want to find, you know, you just see that. I don't think we're going to that awesome place. Mm-hmm. But I just think, I think you are absolutely right. And I think it's because if at a young age, you gain a testimony of, you know, 
who you are as a son of God or daughter of God, and then what kind of wave you can cause when your identity is solidified, whether you're still making mistakes or not, you still know, I know who I am and that I have a purpose. Mm-hmm. And then also just, I also know how dark a pit is and what it looks like and feels like when you're in one. Mm-hmm. And it's easy for me to notice people who are stuck in pits, like, because I was there. Yeah. And it's a lot less intimidating for me to go down in the pit, grab them, or at least extend my hand and say, dude, would you like some help? Yeah. I I know, I know a way, but if they didn't fall, didn't go to the pit and didn't solidify, even in this heart, I know who I am. I know who Christ is and I know who the real enemy is, you know, it's just really amazing. Yeah, I agree. I I talk a lot to parents where I have thought before, you know, when I was first a parent, of course, naturally as parents, we want their lives to be easier than ours, right? We want them to have more than we had. We want them to have it easier than we had. We don't want them to make the same mistakes that we had, but yet we want them to learn the same things that we learned. And, you know, as a parent, you would never in a million years think to yourself, you know, I really want my kid to sin and to mess up so that they can feel the power of the atonement. I really am hoping for that. I can't wait until they really screw up. You know, it's, it's not, you don't do that. That's not what happened. However, to get to the other side and to watch your child go through the repentance process and to see them form a personal relationship with the savior because of his atoning sacrifice for them. That is something that I can't imagine taking away from my child. And having now seen that, not just with my son through his battle with pornography, but also with my other adult children who have gone through their own struggles in different ways that have had to rely on the savior. Like that is the most beautiful butterfly moment is to see them gain this incredible relationship that's personal and individual and intimate with the savior because of his atoning sacrifice. And for me, I feel a little guilty when I think that I tried to keep that from them. You know, I tried to, I didn't realize that I was doing that, but in my mind, I just wanted him to make all the right choices and choose the right friends and do the right things and be a, you know, a good kid. But really in reality, what that does is rob them of that relationship. And all of us have to be personally converted at some time, right? At some point. And so I think that a lot of the, I mean, this is just my personal opinion, but I think a lot of the reason that some of these kids are being caught in the pit, as you, as you mentioned a little bit earlier is because they really need a personal relationship with their savior at an earlier age in order to battle this Mm. world that we are living in. And, you know, for me, there's a, there's a talk, I'm going to forget who it was, but where he talks about, we know through our own experience, we believe things prior, but we come to know through experience, you know, Mm -hmm. it's the scientific method. And it's the same thing goes with the atonement. We know about our savior, Jesus Christ. We may believe in the atonement and we may believe in our savior, Jesus Christ, but we know, we come to know of that Mm -hmm. power through our own experience. And the same is said for our children, as painful as it is to watch, it is also 
again, with those hopeful glasses, it's also the most incredible and beautiful thing. And I wouldn't trade this experience for the world because of what I've been able to watch where my son has come to know his savior in a way that is, it's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. I know my personal experience was I thought just being the church lady was finding the savior. (laughs) And when I could see the example of my son, what that really looked like, like that boy knows more in his youth about finding the savior and understanding the atonement and how to apply those things than I do in my mid forties. Yeah. And so I learned so much by watching him and that it is about girl, pull your sleeves up and go get your overalls on. Cause it's about really honestly getting in the trench with your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and truly handing that over, you know, truly relying completely 100% relying on the savior and having zero ability in your own ability to fix that problem. So yeah, yeah, it's a cool thing to experience as a mom. And when I had little kids, I never in a million years thought that I would love it, but it, it really is just an awesome thing. That's, I just, I'm keep feeling like I need to ask you this question. Why do you think there is that little dynamic? Maybe to describe it better. I just remember my son's really good friend that lived in our neighborhood was going on a mission and my son was over at his home visiting and he'd heard several things at church because my son was older than him saying what when's your mission and are you preparing and all that you know and he's trying to be worthy enough to actually go Mm -hmm. and he's still working on self-mastery and he's not able to go yet and so he's getting a lot of the pressure the questions that we kind of have in our LDS culture and anyway this young man's dad when he asked my son about he was like you know he kind of he said something really bold and shaming that was like, well, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Like, literally it was like, well, mm-hmm. what's wrong with you? How come like, you know, how come you just don't repent and get going? Mm-hmm. And my son came home and he was so sad about that. And I had this thought, why is it? And this is my question. Why is it that people who are finding the savior are the ones being shamed and the ones who are afraid to admit they need a savior are the ones that are like, wow, you have got it together. Yeah, it's true. That is the case. And, And we talked about that, you know, when Smith was going through his repentance process and he was, he was doing some things, you know, like he would not go to church. So he didn't have to not pass the sacraments or he would come late so that those spots were already filled. And he didn't have to pass the sacrament as opposed to, you know, somebody asking, well, why aren't you passing today? Yeah. And I think some of that, unfortunately, in order for that to change, some of that relies on us as members. And then there's the others, and especially as moms and dads that are supporting those that are going through this, trying to get their self-mastery up, but also um, on those kids. And I think one of the things that they need to have help to understand how to say is, you know, me and God, we're working on some stuff. Beautiful. You know, that's the truth. Like they don't need to go into that. You just say, you know what? I'm working on some stuff with my savior and with God, you know, it's actually pretty awesome. You, you might want to try it too. You know, like (laughs) 
especially, you know, I said to my son, especially with these, if they're your peers and they're saying, well, why aren't you passing? You know, what aren't you doing? Why aren't you blessing the sacrament? Why is it that you have to feel shame about that? Why aren't you just saying, Hey, I'm working with my heavenly father on some stuff. It feels actually really good, you know, Mm -hmm. but I'm still in the middle of that. So I'll catch you later. You know, but instead it's this like, well, I just don't want him to ask. I don't want him to say anything. I don't know how to respond instead of just owning that. Like we talk and talk and talk and talk about the atonement. Yeah. And it's not this thing that just exists. It's not the moon or the sun that kind of exists where we can't touch it. We can't feel it. We can't experience it. It, it's more like the apple or the grape, right? That has to be used and taken in and ingested. And why is it that we can talk about using it? We can talk about accessing it, but then when it's, we're actually in the middle of it, there's shame. Why is that? Not yeah. only for us as the users of the atonement, when we are utilizing it, but also when we're watching and when we are the ward family or the siblings or the mother or father, Yeah. why is it that at that point, when they're actually exercising that understanding that we've been teaching, I mean, it's the mm-hmm. whole reason <laughs> we, we go to church every Sunday so we can hammer this in that this is what we believe to be true. And we want you to know that. And again, you know, that through your experience. So why is it that way? You know, mm-hmm. and I had to say to my son, I am so proud of you for not being up there. I am so pleased that you are experiencing this. Mm-hmm. So if you need me to sit with my arm around you in that pew. And if somebody comes up and says something, I will be the one that says that, Mm. you know, but I think there needs to be some cultural shift there where, and unfortunately some of that relies on lies on those that are at the time utilizing the atonement and that's painful, but it's just the truth and we need to own it, you know, regardless of what we're using it for. And we all do. Unfortunately, sometimes it's more visual than others. And I I think we need to be better at saying, Hey, yeah, you know, that atonement thing that we've talked about every Sunday. Yeah. I'm, I'm using it. Yeah. So I need you to fill in for me today, unless you need to use it too. And if that's the case, I'd love to help you go to the Bishop. If that, if you need anything, you let me know, because I'm now experiencing this. Wow. That's powerful. It's so powerful. It's so wonderful too, to be like, yeah, it's just the savior's atonement is so healing, so big, so wonderful. When we misinterpret what it is and how it looks and kind of culturally define that in a funny way. And like the way that you put it earlier as a mom, like, isn't that what we're trying to teach them anyway? Like the mothers of the sons of Helaman, right? right. We're trying to teach them right. that we do not doubt God will deliver you. Right. And, and we aren't teaching them. Certainly we don't anticipate that they will not make mistakes and not need the atonement. I mean, our heavenly father, who's the perfect parent, he didn't give us Christ and the atonement just in case he's not a contingency plan. He is the plan. Yes. So why would we think as parents 
that that's not going to be needed. I mean, we've all used it. We've all had to use it. You know, I don't know an individual that hasn't needed to utilize it. Now, whether they do or not, that's their own personal choice, but he's not a contingency plan. He's not sitting in the wings just in case we need him. He came to earth and experienced all that he did and went through the atonement for us because it was paramount, right? It was certain. It's the only certain thing in the world is that we will need our savior. Yes. And yeah. And so so why is it that suddenly when they are doing that, when they are going through that certainty, there is shame. I, I don't understand it. We should all be saying, you're the man. Yes. Oh my gosh. You are using that. How will you, I would love to sit and talk with you about your experience when you're, you know, when you're at a place where you want to talk, I would love to talk with you about that experience or how can I support you? Mm-hmm. No, thank you for being here. How can I support you? What can I do to help? Yes. So awesome. We were, oh, I just yesterday, a mom was sharing in one of my group coaching things. She said, you know, one of my daughters was hit by a car and it really just injured the whole one side of her body, all of her bones, all of her stuff. She had to have everything done for her. And so many people showed up to say, oh, we wish you so well. And how can we help? And here's some food and let us sit with you while she's in really hard places. And then she said, and then I had a daughter who struggled with mental illness and a divorce and, you know, the things that are like, oh, wow, that's kind of hard. And she had to go to, you know, a treatment center and she was suicidal, you Mm -hmm. know, those kinds of things. And I had no one to talk to about it. No one that I could say, we might not have any broken bones, but we've got some broken things over here that are very painful and we're all hiding it and we can't talk about it. So there is just that if your mess looks like something, it's okay. Yes. And if it looks like something full of shame or that you can't explain or that, mm-hmm. yeah. Ugh. Well, and I think that's one of Satan's greatest tools too, though, is the shame. Yes. Because then we don't talk about it. We don't support one another. We don't put our arms around each other when we're going through and utilizing the atonement and finding help. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Ah, so good. And your experience of all, well, do you need me to sit by you? I'll just put my arm around you and I'll be the voice. If you need me to be the voice, if someone's questioning, if you can, or why you can't help out or, you know, I, I was one of those moms initially that would sit there and be so frustrated and so sad and so upset and so full of shame that my son was that guy. Mm Mm-hmm. He was that guy that was sitting in the pews. But as I grew in my knowledge of what was really going on here, like you described, I did become so proud of him and wanted to put my arm around him and just act like this guy is the boss. Yeah. Because he has the courage to say, I'm finding Jesus. Yeah. He's walking the walk. Yeah. Yeah. That's not an easy thing to do. So Ali, I'm just thinking, oh, we might have a part B to this because I really love your experience and what you're talking about. And I think 
maybe I could talk you into having a part A and a part B of our podcast, but I am, uh, will you just share with us a little bit about your story of just before you learned all the stuff that you're talking about, when it was traumatic, when you did feel the torment so that the people that are listening to this can be like, they're, you know, cause I know some who are listening are like, could you meet me where I'm at? Yeah, no, you know? I get it. So you just want me to kind of tell my story. Is that what you're saying? Or like, where yes, we, like how we found out? Okay. Yep. How did you find out? And how did you find life-changing services or sense of human? Like, how did that all come about? And what so, was your um, journey? Yeah. So, well, for a long time, so I have two older daughters and then I have my son, Smith, who, like I said, was at the time was 14. And then I have another younger daughter. So Smith was my first son that I had experience with. And I had raised two other daughters, but I had never had a boy and not the daughters are immune. (laughs) Not saying that at all. I'm just saying it's a different experience. And for a couple, at least a year and maybe a little bit longer, there was just a lot of contention between Smith and I and my husband, to be honest. Smith was born a really happy boy is his probably got that just by talking to him. His natural temperament is outgoing and happy. And he had a fan club since he was a baby. He, you know, constantly had a smile on his face. He was just, he was a delight. And I remember for about a year, there were several nights that I would go to bed and say to my husband, one of us is not going to make it until he's 18. And I don't know which one it is, but I cannot, I, I don't know who that kid is down there but that is not my son and something's wrong. And I would talk to parents about it. And I got all the time. I hate this phrase. I got it all the time. Oh, it's just a phase. Oh, yep. Mm -hmm. That's a teenage phase. And I just, in my gut, I just felt like that can't be real. But then, Mm -hmm. you you know, there's always this just negative talk about teens and how hard they are to raise and how moody they are. And So then I would kind of talk myself out of it. And you should know that we have parented in a home where we were very proactive. We had filters. We talked, we had had family members or people, friends that are like family members that have had their lives destroyed by pornography. We had a family night every month, once a month about the dangers of pornography. We talked all the time about it. And, you know, we had the crash and tell. If you ever see anything, you'll never be in trouble. You just turn off the power of the screen and come tell an adult. It's not your fault. We had all the things. We had all the filters. My kids didn't have smartphones. They weren't allowed to have those until they were 18 and could sign their own contract. I mean, if there was a person that I thought would have been (laughs) safe, it was my kids. Right. And it's just a prime. It's just another testament to no one is immune. You know, we were not off the grid, but we were about as locked down as you could get. And we had conversations all the time about how I can't, you know, we're just the parents, everybody else's parents lets them have phones and everybody else's parents lets them do this and do that. So that should be said at first, Mm -hmm. but I knew something was wrong. I just had kind of this gut instinct that like, that's not the son I know. And if that is him, we're going to have a problem for the next few years. (laughs) I don't know how I'm going to get to him being 18. Um, So So what were some, 
tell us a little bit about what were some of the things you were seeing you said that you weren't getting along but yeah what were weren't getting it was just always you know it was he would say white just if I said black right he would say black. you know it was just this it was constant desire to be contentious it was hey we're going to play a game as a family and he would grumble and walk off into his room and slam the door now that being said there were still you know there were still moments where we had he was still himself he was social he was getting good grades he was you know active in his extracurricular activities he there were still a lot of things that he was doing and that and times that we, we were doing well there were just all of these kind of grading moments and I attribute it a lot to the mom instinct and I think that oftentimes we reduce that as parents. We think, oh, you know, I know there's something wrong, but we kind of just swipe it away. And I think it's important as parents to listen to that. And if I could go back, that's the one thing that I wish I would have done was I wish I would have listened to that. We had rules about, he had an iPod, an iPod touch, which is, you know, much like a smartphone, as long as you're within Wi-Fi range, again, filters on there, but we had a rule that there were no devices allowed in the bathroom. And I would catch him with a device in the bathroom. And I would say, mm -hmm. you have a device in the bathroom. And of course, a, a fight would ensue, right? Yeah. So those kinds of things were going on. And I just, I really had a hard time even having any hope in having a relationship that I hoped that I would have with my mm -hmm. son. And I just, I didn't really like him if I'm being honest yeah. at a lot of times, there were times that I would see little glimpses of him, but there were often times where I would just think I love him, but I don't like him. He's mm -hmm. not nice. He's not, he's not trying. He's just trying to pick a fight with everyone. It wasn't just me. It was with his siblings. He didn't want to engage in family activities very often. You know, it just felt off. It just felt, that's the only way I can describe it is that it was just my mother instinct and it just felt off. Well, come to, you know, long, this is a very long story that I won't get into all of the details, but basically what happened is we got a call from the police mm. and Smith, long story short, he had Snapchat. We are very anti-Snapchat at this house. Smith is now mm created stickers like Colin Karchner that say Snapchat sucks that we put everywhere and try and give out as much as we can. So Smith yeah. had on Snapchat, had a girl that used to be in his school that basically falsely accused him to the police of some activity. And mm. this girl had a really, really, really hard life. If you can name it, she had been through it, you know, yeah. I don't need to get into all of that, but basically she had really, really struggled. And my belief is that she was looking for attention in any way she could get it. And Smith picked the wrong girl <laughs> mm -hmm. and she was accusing him of doing some things that um, were inappropriate. And anyway, that's how all of this came out. So we terrifying. went and picked him up. At, yeah, it was, it was terrifying. And to be honest, like, of course, my instinct was this is not possible. We mm -hmm. went and picked him up and as soon as we said, you know, this is what's going on. Tell us what's happening. This is what we're hearing. He didn't really say anything for a while. He just said, you know, I don't know what's going on. And I said, listen, we are your only advocates here. We are your parents and we are the ones that will fight for you. Mm -hmm. And you better tell us everything. And man, it was just like the dam broke. And man, I mean, <laughs> we sat for an hour in the car. He told us everything. He told wow. us everything. And he handed me his iPod 
And he said, I never want this back again. Mm. And he told me, mom, I've been, you know, I've been involved in some pornography and it made me curious. And, you know, he just, the gates just opened. And he told me things that, to be honest, I just still was like, oh, we don't need, I don't need that kind of detail. But at that point, and, and so we spent, you know, a few days and, and we spent the next little while battling through this. We, of course, immediately got in, him into some therapy. I had heard about life-changing services. I have a good friend. Her son had battled for years with pornography. He was older. And they had kind of tried to go it on their own and deal with that. And then she basically just talked about how it was really the key that he needed, felt like he needed some help. And Mm -hmm. it just was kind of the pivot moment for him when he was able to get in and get some support from his peers. So we decided, you know, we're not messing with anything. We're getting him directly into some therapy. So we signed up for life-changing services right away. And of course, Smith was very scared the first day he went, the first night he went and he wasn't driving. So we went and dropped him off. Mm -hmm. And I remember we picked him up and he got in the car and he just started crying. And I said, how did it go? And I thought to myself, oh boy, this was maybe not the best. Maybe he's too young. Maybe he's, you know, maybe things aren't as bad. Maybe he doesn't need this. Maybe, maybe this problem isn't as bad as it, you know, and he just said, I felt so good. He said, that was just the best experience I've ever had. He said, I finally feel like I'm not alone. And that was awesome. And I can't wait to go back. And do I have to wait a whole week? And I know, I realize that is not everyone's experience. I know that it's not, but that was his. And for him to feel like he wasn't broken and there wasn't anything wrong with him, but that he was dealing with this challenge that so many boys do. Yes. And anyway, that was kind of how that all started. And he really just took, he took that change apart and just ran with it. And some of it, I think, again, is because the costs were high. You know, he was experiencing where he was having to defend himself. He was having to defend his integrity and his character. And that system, might I add, is very broken. It's very broken. And, you know, I know there are lots of victims out there and people that are, that are honest, but there is a, there is a very broken system. And for these kids to not understand where this path can lead, and even if it doesn't lead there, the allegations that can be made against you, and you literally have no recourse there because of the way the system is. There is no recourse. So he was hit pretty hard. He wasn't just caught by his parents. Mm. You know, he was experiencing some pretty high price to pay for a pretty small mistake on the scale. So that motivated him, I think. And I'll tell you, it wasn't two weeks that I thought to myself that that's my boy. There he is. Wow. There he is. And at that point was when that's when I started seeing the hope was when I saw him again, you know, I saw his core again. Yeah. Can we have a part B? Would that be okay with you? Sure. Um, Okay. (laughs) So we're going to stop on that hopeful place. I love that this interview ended with that's how scary that was. 
and what we noticed and then got to this place of, and there he was, I yeah. can see my son again. And that's when the hope started, but your mess didn't just go away, but you started seeing your son in the mess. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. To be continued, yeah. everybody we will catch you <laughs> on the B side. <laughs> Thanks so much, Karen. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today, Warrior Moms. I invite you to make a donation at the top of our website, mothersyouknow.org. Any amount you can afford today will help us keep Mothers Who Know services free for all moms. Thank you so much for your generosity. Moms, remember your divine identity and great worth. Continue in your courageous efforts to support God's great work. Notice the miracles you see every day, the evidence of the Savior's love and mercy. Find the message in your message. Reach out and share the principles you learn in Mothers You Know with other mothers. You are God's secret weapon for good in this world. Finally, a few pieces of information for you. I recommend a few other podcast channels to listen to. Like Dragons Do They Fight podcast, that includes interviews and stories with those that have struggled and overcome something in their life. And the Eternal Warriors podcast, hosted by two YSAA young men who share their story, teach valuable lessons, and interview special guests. You can follow us on our social media pages on Facebook under mothersyouknow.lcs or search for Mothers You Know and on Instagram, username at mothers underscore who know last if you would like additional support and training please go to mompowertraining.com to sign up for the next eight-week mom power training class for all moms you can also go to the mothers you know website at mothers org or our parent company life-changing services at life-changing services.org to learn more about our excellent services to support you and your loved ones thank you so much for listening today Please feel free to email me anytime with questions or to set up a complimentary 30-minute appointment to visit. Please email me at mothersyouknow at lifechangingservices.org. Looking forward to hearing from you amazing moms. See you next time.